John Ortberg, uh, author and pastor, writes the following, Repenting is a gift God gives us for our own sake, not His. Repenting does not increase God's desire to be with us. It increases our capacity to be with Him. Hear this one more time. Repentance isn't a favorite word in our culture today. Repenting is a gift God gives us for our own sake, not His. Repenting does not increase God's desire to be with us. It increases our capacity to be with Him. Today in our Jonah story, we get to see two repentances, a repentance of a prophet and the repentance of a people, and how God's love not only captures them but overcomes them and goodness comes to them. Now, some of you may be joining us mid-story, so let me just give you the quick version up to where we're at right now. God calls a prophet to go give a message. The prophet, being a faithful prophet that he is, goes in the opposite direction. God loves him so much that he sends catastrophe to his life to bring him back into uh, order. The prophet was called to rise up and go, and because he goes his own way, the story has him going down, down, down. At his lowest moment, he finally realizes that he's in trouble, and he looks up and he cries to heaven. And what does God do? He brings him up and he gives him a second chance. And now we get to see what God does in giving of the second chance. If you only get this this morning, get this one. Your God, the God who's called you here in worship today, the God who's pursuing you in love is the God of second chance and third chance and fourth chance and good for people like me, the hundredth and the two hundredth and the three hundredth chance. He wants you to experience His fullness, and repentance will allow you to experience the fullness that He has for your life. So let's go to the text. You can pull your Bibles out again. We'll go through a few verses to get an idea of what God is telling in this story, because remember, the story is not about Jonah. The story is not really about a big fish or a big city. It's about a big God who's full of forgiveness. Verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it the message I tell you. The word of the Lord comes a second time. Now here is the very nature of our God who does not uh, hold our past over our heads. It's almost verbatim the same one you heard in chapter 1. Rise, get up, and go. Give this message to the people of Nineveh. There's no mention of Jonah's failure. There's no mention of the vows that he made from the belly of the great fish. Uh, There's no holding it over his head. God doesn't even say, okay, Jonah, I delivered you, now get to work. God just picks it up again. He says, arise and go to the people of Nineveh and speak my message. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, let's just stop there. Chapter 1, Jonah's response was, I'm going this way. God wants me to go this way, I'm going the opposite. Now the scripture, this is such a profound declaration. So Jonah arose and went and did according to the word of the Lord. This is the first repentance in the chapter. Now it's interesting, for Jonah to repent, he had to be pursued by God completely. Remember this. In all that we're going to talk about today, the greatest promise is God's love that makes it uh, possible for us to repent. 
Jonah's powerless in the, in the sense of being in that great fish. And now God is giving him back his chance, not only to discover his identity, but to be brought fully into his divine purpose. And it's all God's love that's pursuing him. Repentance is when we're moving away from God, all of a sudden realizing that his love is calling us to that relationship and we turn back to him. Uh, there are a lot of images of repentance, but my whole life will be marked by that sermon that Pastor Nathan preached a few years ago. I don't know if it's his stature and his bigness, and because so many times during the Lord's table, he reminds us that the Lord has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. If I had arms that long, I would have played professional basketball, but I don't. But I'll never forget it. This is what happens in our life. We start doing things our way, and we slowly get caught up in them, and we're moving, and we're moving, and God taps us on the shoulder, and he says, turn to me. And get back in my way. And in this moment, the prophet obeys. You see, it's not just hearing the word of God. It is doing something with it. This is all the difference. Jesus tells this parable of two people that build a house. One builds it on a rock so it has good solid foundation. The other one builds it on sand. You remember this one? We had a song we sang as kids. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. Thank you. I wasn't going for applause, but that's all right. The other one who built on the sand, the rains came and the floods came up and the house went crashing down. And then Jesus makes this declaration. Who is the one who builds on the rock? The one who hears God's word and obeys it. Now Jonah is ready to be used by God. And remember now, he's not making himself acceptable to God. God's not loving him. He's just coming back into God's design so that he can flourish. Uh, During our pastor home miracle time this week, we were talking about this. One of the pastors said this, this is the first time that Jonah does just as God says, and this is the only time he has success in the story. As long as we're going our own way, we're going to have all kinds of trouble that pursues us. But when we go God's way, even when the trouble comes against us, we will recognize his presence to be successful and to push through it. And so Jonah goes and he gives this message. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Wow. We tried to think about this week what that would look like. We imagine going to the cloisters and start walking into New York City. You pass through Harlem and you say, New York City, in 40 days, God's going to overthrow you. You come down the west side, you come into Times Square. 40 days, uh, this town is going to be overthrown. How well do you think that message would be received? <laughs> Let's just bring it a little bit closer to home. So today, this afternoon, I want to do evangelism in our community. So I'm going to go out onto Conic and I'm going to start walking. And just to make it effective, because there's a long distance between walls... Greenwich, in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. Now I'm down on Route 1. Greenwich, in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. Do you think that message is going to be received? 
Well, it's interesting what happens in our story. Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. It's the exact word that is used to speak of Abraham when the covenant was established with him in Genesis 15, 6, when it says this, God established the covenant, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. What's going on here? There's a mystery to when God speaks and when we finally hear and we're willing to turn. That's why I delight, like we delight as pastors preaching over and over the gospel message is that God's love is trying to take over your life, not to make your life miserable, but to free you up for all the things that he has for you. Because it's not just about your repentance, it's about the people he wants you to touch that will experience his love. Tom, what a great Father's Day gift to see your daughter up here saying, I want no bounds between me and God's love so that his love will flow out. That's our calling. Every one of us is called to that. Some of us do it in school. Some of us do it in the home. We've been, uh, that's our vocation. Some of us are in banks. Some of us are pastors. It doesn't matter. All of our calling is the same to be involved in God's restoration project. And the reason he grips us is not only for our good, but that he put us back on the path where he's going to use us so that other people will experience his love. It's powerful. Everything becomes meaningful in our lives. Our vocation, our avocation, our recreation, where we find our life in every day, everything comes alive. The text says this, not only the people believed, as far from the greatest to the least of them, it was comprehensive. Could you imagine what would happen in our part of the world if that kind of repentance came? Oh my. Turn the resources of where we live out on the world. I'm not just thinking financial resources. I'm thinking about leadership capital and insight and the knowledge and the privilege that we've had as a people. Turn that out on the world, how that would make this place different. Story goes on. The king hears the news. He repents. It's a great picture. The king takes off his kingly robe and goes down in the ashes. Uh, when people of ancient times felt grief and repentance in their heart, they expressed it outward. They would put ashes on their uh, forehead and they would take on sackcloth that reminded them they didn't want the pleasures of this life to get between them and what God wanted to do. He calls everyone to it, even calls that the beast would be fasting. Now, those of you who have been following the story, you get the, the, the delight of this. A prophet of God keeps running against God, but storms and big fish and beasts and plants and worms are going to respond to God. And now a pagan king responds to him. And listen to this wording in, uh, chapter, in verse 8 at the end, towards the end. The king says this, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. There's a real symmetry in the words here that's fascinating. It shows the interesting dynamic and the complexity of relationship between God and humans. That God in his sovereignty is directing our steps so that we would experience him. But in his love, he does not 
take control of us. He gives us the privilege of repenting and turning, and then He and His relationship presses more towards us so that we would experience all the things that He has for us. There's so much rich here, and yet it's a mystery beyond our way. The passage ends this way. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, He relented from the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. So what's my so what this morning? Let's just keep this raw, simple, and straight. First one is repent. The message of repentance is just, isn't just for the people out there, it's for the people in here. Why? Because my heart needs to be rendered day after day after day because the vain things of this world seep in and I begin to get attention. I don't know it. I don't wake up one day and say, I'm really going to rebel against God. But slowly, I get drawn back into the things of this world and God taps me on the shoulder in His love because He knows these things aren't going to satisfy and He says, turn. And I have the privilege of turning back to Him. Repentance isn't for God's sake, it is for our sake. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. Listen, if you seek first the kingdom, they'll be added. If you seek the other things, you will lose the kingdom. At our elder retreat yesterday, we read a little portion of uh, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, and this is the quote there. This is perfect for this whole idea of seeking the kingdom. He says this, the person who does not seek the kingdom of God first does not seek it at all. The person who does not seek the kingdom of God first does not seek it at all. Seek first the kingdom. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what of the world is drawing you in but allow God to tap you on the shoulder this morning and turn back into Him. Because He has this incredible blessing He wants to pour through your life. The second one is obvious. Now that you're rescued, be a rescuer. All of us who know the love of God got here because someone expressed that love to us. Put your hand up if I'm wrong on this, but is, I doubt if any of us got a direct word from God that brought us into relationship with Him. Most of us got here through another person. Can someone challenge me on that? No, I, I would love to hear it. It would be a great story. I believe it could happen. I mean, God speaks all the time. But think about it. We were all pursued by God through the loving hands of someone else. And so like Jonah, who's recovered, as you become recovered, go find the people that are waiting for God's love. Be a rescuer. This past week, I had a friend from Mali visiting. He hasn't been in New York in 17 years. I haven't seen him in 11 years, so it was a great reunion. He was a colleague of mine and a, a pastor. He's now the vice president of the National Church. He had some ministry he was doing in America, and he said, uh, Abubakar, I want to stop and see you on my way through. So he came, and he got to experience Stanwich. I'm, I love when people from other places get to experience this place. Last weekend was crazy. We had memorial services and weddings and picnics and celebrations of retirement. And he goes, do you do this all the time? <laughs> I said, no, there's a reason that all the pastors are half asleep on Sunday. It's just one of those unusual months. One of the things he asked me to do, he said, Let's, can I go to the 9-11 memorial and see the museum there? 
Now, um, I've been to the museum. It was so moving. Ingrid and I had planned to be there for an hour. We ended up being there four and a half hours because it just gripped us. The sensation that you get in going to something like that you think is going to be dull the second time through. But it was just as moving to me. I sat in some of those displays and tears ran down my face as I thought of the people who experienced loss and what was happening to us in those moments. But the one that grabbed my attention most was the story of two firemen who heard voices of other firemen who were buried, which is interesting, we showed the landslide today. Is God doing something? This is unbelievable. They could hear the voices and they were talking to them and they had to go get those guys. It was so tight that only one could go in at a time, and they would take all of their equipment off so there was no security for them, digging with their hands through the rubble, the burning heat in their hands because they wanted to get to these people. Even their fellow firemen kept saying, please come out. It's going to fall on you, and you're going to be buried alive. And the response of the fireman just grips me and sends chills up my arms. He said, I can't come out for my own safety when there's somebody else who's not safe. I thought about that in the idea of saving someone's temporal life. How much more to think about people's eternity who are separated from their creator, who don't know the wonderful redemptive purposes of God for them. I have to dig through the rubble. I have to be engaged to go find them. I can't enjoy the pleasure of this place here only if this is the end result. This has to be to fuel me so that I go out in God's restoration project so that I can find those people. Rescued people, be the rescuers. Ah, uh, you're already doing it. So just keep on doing it. Amen.